I'm men who do a similar job. Uh, Moses led them out. He did. He oversaw the plagues, led them out of Egypt, and so on. Even as in the end time, God's people have to be drawn out of Babylon and this society around us and become separate and go into the wilderness again. So, <coughs> there are many, many parallels between Elijah, or I mean Moses and Elijah, and what needs to be done here at the end. I think Elisha gets overlooked somewhat uh, because Elijah is mentioned more through the Scriptures and is mentioned specifically in the end time. But uh, I think there's a very important story to be told by Elisha that has to do with these end times as well. <coughs> Elijah, in the Hebrew, means my God is Jehovah or Yah is God. His primary duty uh, in his original, as the original man was to show who God was, to put to shame the prophets of Baal and even kill them. Uh, what he did through the miracles and through his life was show who God is. Now, Elisha comes along. He was anointed by Elijah, and I think that we will find that in the end time, uh, one of the witnesses also appoints or designates uh, who the other is, uh, even as God had Elijah show who Elisha is. Now, Elisha surprised me when I looked his name up in Hebrew. It's the same as Jesus or Yeshua or Joshua. Elisha means God is salvation. So, his name even was similar to that of Christ himself and the name that was used for thousands of years. So we shall see, I think, very clearly that Elisha is a type of Christ and that the number one of the two witnesses also is a type of Christ. Well, they both are. Uh, I mean, even Joshua means the same, God is salvation. So they, they merge together just as each and every one of you is also a type of Christ. You do realize that, don't you? We've mentioned it here before. But the very fact that you were here and seeking to follow Christ and His example, to live the kind of life He lived, to think the kind of thoughts He had, and then to marry Him, that makes every last one of us a type of Christ. Now, men who have been chosen to do a certain job might have a little closer type in terms of the job they have to do, but each and every one of us should be a microcosm of what Christ was and is. And we need to bear that in mind <clears throat> as we go through life. But we are here to appear to the world as Christ appeared. He was a son of light, and we are called the children of light, are we not? So it's not blasphemous to say you're a type of Christ. Uh, that's what you were brought here to be. I think sometimes we're very dim types, but we need to brighten up <laughs> if that be the case. We have to work on it. <clears throat> anyway, 
we got in 2 Kings 3, uh, before, when we were considering Elijah, <clears throat> where a chariot of fire came and a whirlwind, uh, and Elijah went up, was transferred somewhere else. He didn't go to heaven, first heaven where the birds fly. Uh, and later on, as we saw, a letter came from him <clears throat> about a, a king and what should be done there. So he was still alive, it's just that he had finished the particular job he did, preparing the way, if you will, for Elisha. And Elisha's request seemed strange when we first examined it. Give me double the power you had, double the spirit. And Elijah didn't know quite what to do with that, so he kind of left it up to God and says, if you see me as I go, then it will happen. And he saw him depart in the chariot of fire. So picking it up in Second Kings 3, <clears throat> in verse 13, he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. So he took that mantle and smote the waters and says, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? So he knew that he had been anointed by Elijah. He had seen the miracles that Elijah was doing. And he knew he was to assume the role, <clears throat> but he had to ask the question, <coughs> excuse me, where is that God? And that God appeared. They parted, and Elisha went over. And the sons of the prophets were there to view it from Jericho, and they said, the spirit of Elijah indeed does rest upon Elisha. And then we have <clears throat> a series of things that Elisha did. Let's go down, uh, let's see, to 221. Uh, he went forth into the spring of waters. Well, first of all, they had uh, had water at this town, but it was no good. Uh, it was poisoned, it was salty, it was whatever it was but was undrinkable. It says, The water is nothing and the ground is barren. I guess it just didn't even have much water left, according to verse 19. So he says, Bring me a new cruise, a new vessel, and put salt in it. And they brought it to him. And he cast it into the spring of the waters <clears throat> uh, and cast the salt in there and said, Thus says the Eternal, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from here any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed to this day according to the saying of Elisha. Now, you can compare that with Ezekiel 47, where the new temple is built. Waters come out from the east side of the temple, and they are there to heal the land and to heal the waters. Also in Revelation 21, <clears throat> when the kingdom of God comes down, the heavenly Jerusalem, uh, at the beginning of the millennium, waters will come out from that to heal the land. So we can see here, way back in the Old Testament, that God enacted some of the things back there by his prophets, which will be repeated again in the future by Christ himself, who is the one who is active in doing the creating and so on, uh, in establishing pure water and clean and healing the land. So he healed it for a town, Christ is going to heal it for the world. <clears throat> verse uh, 23. 
And he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him. Said to him, Go up, bald head, go up, bald head, or on top of bald ear, however we'd put it today. Uh, and he turned back and looked at them and cursed them in the name of the Eternal. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tore forty-two of those children. doesn't say whether they actually killed them or not, but tore them anyway. Now that is an unusual thing, is it not? Once in a while we have bear attacks somewhere in this nation, uh, but it's usually upon one person, and two might get mangled a little if they're close together and get in the way. But for two bears to come out of the woods, their cubs may have been in the woods, so it was she-bears, uh, and they left the cubs, if they had any, and came out where Elisha was and tore 42 children. I don't know whether it has any application or not, but the thought came to me that uh, here was an Israelite. He was in the land of Israel, and we have the Russian bear today. Uh, and it says the times of the Gentiles will be given over to, or this nation will be given over to the Gentiles for 42 months. Uh, interesting number here. Does, uh, does each child represent a month that Jacob's trouble will continue as the Russian bear tears us? Why two bears? I don't know. Maybe that's double, showing that it's going to be double trouble or... Uh, or trouble doubled, if you will, an emphasis in other words. I don't know. I have nothing to tie that to other than we know that uh, these events are yet ahead of us. Why wasn't it 10 kids or 73 kids? You know, just it's, a, it's just a number that does tie with something in the end. Let's go to chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. Very similar to Elijah's experience, where God sent him to that widow to stay with her for a year, and her son was resurrected at the end of that time. And here you have another widow with uh, a need. My, my husband is dead, and you know that your servant did fear the eternal, and the creditor has come to take him to my two sons to be bondmen. So we're just going to make slaves out of her sons to pay debts. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in your house? And she said, Your handmaid has not anything in the house save a pot of oil. The other widow with Elijah had a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil. And here, she only had a pot of oil, so half of what the other widow did. Then he said, Go borrow you vessels abroad of all your neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. Gather up all the vessels you can find and bring them home. When you come in, you shall shut your door upon you and upon your sons, and shall pour out into all those vessels, and you shall set aside that which is full." So she had this one little vessel, gathered up all these vessels, and he said, now, start pouring. So she went from him and did that, and poured the oil out, 
Verse 6, And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said to her, There's not another one. <laughs> and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and live you and your children of the rest. So, like the meal that didn't diminish, the oil was there and was multiplied. Uh, reminds me of the story of Christ and the loaves and the fishes, where uh, he was able to feed many, many people. So you see parallels between both Elijah and Elisha here and what Christ later did. And I think, in that sense, both are types. Elisha is just a stronger type, as in the two witnesses. One will be a stronger type, or number one, or the leader over the other. <clears throat> but they will work closely together to do Christ's work. So we see uh, a similarity in some of the things that they did. Uh, verse 8, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat bread. He knew here was a woman who was hospitable, who was willing to serve, who was always ready to provide. So understanding that and having experienced it, then every time he came by, he stopped in there. So it fell on a... Let's see. And she said to her husband in verse 9, Now I perceive that this is a holy man of God which is, passes by us continually. I, he didn't advertise. He didn't go in and say, Well, you know, I'm a prophet of God. You need to take care of me. Uh, she saw a need and took care of it. And she discerned that he was a man of God. So she said to her husband, Let's make a little chamber, a little room, I pray you, on the wall. And let us set for the, him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And when he comes to us, that he shall turn in there. And it fell on a day that he came there, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. <clears throat> and when he had called her, she stood before him. And he, he said to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for you? How can we return the favor? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host, that they might give some kind of blessing? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. I don't need external help. I'm not on the dole. I don't need my EMT card or whatever, or my Obama phone. I don't need favors from the government. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Truly she has no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, you shall embrace a son. And she says, Oh no, my lord, uh, you man of God, do not lie to your handmaid. It seems when you, any time... God came to Abraham and Sarah or to anyone else who was beyond the age or, or things couldn't happen, let's say. Uh, it always took people by shock and they always, the, the immediate reaction is, huh, this is impossible. Can't be done. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season, Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. 
And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head, must have struck it when he fell. Uh, And he said to a lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and died. A gift from God that grew and had an accident and died. Looks pretty grim. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. So you gave him to me, you can have him back, he's dead. I don't know exactly what her attitude was, but uh, she laid him on his bed. And she called to her husband and said, Send me, I pray you, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he says, Why are you going today? It isn't a holy day. It isn't a new moon. It isn't a a time normally. Uh, She may have not even told him uh, that the son had died, but she had a mission. Uh, She just said, It shall be well. So she must have had some confidence when she laid the baby on Elisha's bed. Uh, Maybe it wasn't done in, uh, here you can have him back. Maybe that emotion went through her, but also she said it would be well. So she did have a certain confidence in Elisha. So she saddled an ass and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Slack not your riding for me except I bid you. Must have been in a cart bouncing along. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. <clears throat> Run, I pray you, to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And, and she answered, It is well. It's going to be all right. And when she came to the man of God of the hill, she caught him by the feet. <clears throat> but Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, her soul is vexed within her, and the Eternal has hid it from me and has not told me. Sometimes the man of God perceived, and this time he did not. <clears throat> then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? I didn't ask for a child. You gave the child. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did not? Oh, I already read that. Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go your way. I wonder if there's a type here. Did Elizabeth ask for a son necessarily? Or did the angel come and say, You're going to have a son. He's going to be John the Baptist. I'm shortening the story. And appeared to Mary and said, You're going to have a son. She didn't ask for it. Wasn't even married yet. In this case, he volunteered to provide a son for her, from God, of course. So he said to Gehazi in verse 29, Gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, salute him not. If any salute you, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. The mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And he rose and followed her. 
And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awake. That reminds me of the story of Lazarus. They came and uh, said, Lazarus is dead. And Christ didn't immediately run there. He took his time. Wasn't it three days he took before he got there, as I recall? And uh, he wasn't worried. He took care of it when he got there. But nobody else could handle it. <clears throat> and Gehazi couldn't handle it either. So Elisha took his time, and when he was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them, the two, and prayed to the Eternal. You might have noticed any time there was a resurrection uh, by Christ even, he put everybody out. Uh, there could not be an element of no faith or doubt in the room, even with Lazarus. He shut everybody out. It was just he and Lazarus there. So we find that that is the case when God does resurrections prior to the last trump. Uh, then everybody's going to see. But uh, resurrections from the dead in normal life, let's say, was always done in a solitary fashion. <clears throat> and he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. So he just laid down on him face to face, and he came back to life. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. So he began to get warm, and then he paced back and forth, probably praying, and laid down in, on him, and the child began to sneeze, opened his eyes, and then the, the job was complete. <clears throat> and he called Gehazi and says, Call this Shuman, Shumanite. So he called her, and when she was come in uh, to him, he said, Take up your son. And she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. It said when he was grown when we started this, but he had grown some. He wasn't just a baby anymore, but he was still small enough that he could be picked up. Quite a story. Uh, Elijah had raised one. Now we have Elisha raising one. But that's not all of it, because remember, he had double the spirit and power of Elijah. We'll get to that. <clears throat> All right, let's go to uh, 38. Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophet were sitting before him, and he said to his servant, Set on the great pot and seed pottage for the sons of the prophets. So he went out to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered some gourds and so on. And they poured out for the men to eat. Verse 40, and it came to pass as they were eating, uh, they cried out, there's poison. We're being poisoned. There's death in the pot. But he said, then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot, and he said, pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. So whatever was there had something poisonous in it, and they were fearful of dying. He threw some meal in and said, it'll be okay. Those are 
amazing stories. There came a man from Baal Shalishah and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and full ears of corn, and the husk thereof. And he said, Give to the people that they may eat. And his servant said, What should I set what? Should I set this before a hundred men? <clears throat> Just a, you know, an armful. He said again, Give the people that they may eat. For thus says the Eternal, they shall eat and shall leave thereof. There will be some left over. So he said it before them, and they did eat, and left thereof according to the word of the Eternal. So here again you have something very similar to what Christ did, multiplying the food. So the, the parallels are pretty close here between what Elisha did way back then and what Christ did in his lifetime. Let's see. Let's go to chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 1. Uh, this is a story about a leper, end of verse 1. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. So uh, Naaman was the captain of the host of the king of Syria, and uh, a mighty man, and became a leper. And she said to her mistress, Would uh, God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. So the maid said, you know, Naaman has leprosy. If he just could get with Elisha, this could be handled. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus says the maid that is of the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go, I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. And he parted and took with him ten talents of silver, <clears throat> six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. I, I looked that up and amounted to about $3,800,000 apparently in our money today, uh, give or take some, depending on our knowledge of weights and measures. But in, the, in other words, a lot. And he was a leper and was slated to die, of course. So they brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now, when this letter is come to you, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may recover him of his leprosy. <clears throat> As it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Whereof consider, I pray you, and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. So he says, why would somebody send a letter to me wanting to be healed of leprosy? I'm a king. I'm not a medicine man. I'm not a doctor, whatever. He must be trying to pick a fight somewhere in here. So he imagined things that were not true. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he read his clothes. Oh, I already read that. Uh, verse 8, and it was so, when Elisha the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, so word got around that the letter had come, the king didn't know what to do with it, rent his clothes and thought, trouble's coming. Why in the world is he asking me to do this, and if I don't do it, then they're going to come attack us and kill us or whatever. It's an excuse to start a war, was kind of the way he looked at it. So Elisha heard about it. And how the king had rent his clothes, that 
you do that when there's disaster. They, they rent their clothes and sometimes they put uh, sackcloth and ashes on. Uh, so he sent to the king saying, Wherefore have you rent your clothes? What's the big deal here? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. God is still working here. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall come again to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He had his expectations as to how he thought this should come down. Now, sometimes we think God would do it this way or God would do it that way or the man of God ought to do it this way or do it that way. And sometimes we're wrong. This man was wrong. And he said, Are not Abana and uh, Fairfar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? He took it as a racist slur. But why is Jordan better than our rivers? Why would he have me wash in Jordan? So he had all kinds of excuses and reasons and reasonings. Well, he was the God of Israel. And Jordan was a river in Israel. Uh, sometimes we take offense when we should not take offense. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? If he had made up something very dramatic for him to do and it sounded appealing, would you have done that? Well, this didn't sound appealing, so he didn't want to do it. How much rather then when he says to you, wash and be clean? That's pretty simple. So maybe it got some sense into his head. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. That's something that will be repeated all through the prophecies, and it's going to be repeated by people who are alive today when God begins to do things to show that He is the Almighty God of the universe. Then they shall know that He is God. That's the whole point. Who is God? Buddha? Allah? God? Who is it? It will become apparent. So he said, Now therefore I pray you take a blessing of your servant. Christ often had the experience that people would not come back and even say thank you. They'd just run on off declaring how wonderful it was that they'd been healed. And it was the Gentiles, for the most part who would come back and say thank you. And here you have a Syrian Gentile king who came back and said thank you, and not only thank you, but I'd like to offer you a gift to as thanks, or pay, or however you would. But he just said a blessing, so a gift, I'm sure, is what he had in mind. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused.
So Elisha was not going to take anything, even after a little bit of argument. I won't read the whole thing here, but Naaman went on his way. But the Gehazi, Elisha's servant, began to think. And as he thought, uh, verse 20, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian and not receiving in his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Elisha wouldn't take the gift, but hey, it was offered. I might as well have it. Remind you of the guy at the uh, Jericho. Oh, we're not supposed to take anything, but that sure looks good. So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? Why are you chasing me? He said, All is well. My master has sent me, there's his first lie, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray you, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So he doesn't even say it's for himself. He says it's for two others that he is to give it. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags, two changes of garment, and laid them upon two of his servants, and they carried them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. Now, in this case, Elisha knew what had gone on. He hadn't before, but this time he knew. Elisha said to him, Where do you come from, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. I didn't go anywhere. And he said to him, Went not your heart with you when the man turned again from his chariot to meet you? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? Is this what you're here for? The leprosy there of Naaman shall cleave to you and to your seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. So that which had been healed was conferred upon Gehazi and his family forevermore. Kind of like New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira holding some back and then claiming that they didn't and they also had a death penalty. Chapter 6, verse 6, some of Elisha's men wanted a, a bigger place to stay, a house, so they asked him if they could build a place, and he said yes. So they were cutting wood for it. I won't read the whole story. It's a very simple one. Uh, the axe head fell off, flew off, and landed in the river, and they tried and tried and couldn't find it or get it out, and they said, well, we borrowed this axe, and what are we going to do? We don't have another one, obviously. We borrowed that one. So... Uh, Elisha caused the axe head to swim, it says. It floated to the surface. That's unusual for iron to do. (laughs) Absolute miracle from God. Now let's see, what do I want here? Uh, Chapter 6, verse 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. 
And uh, the men of, man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Behold, you shall not pass such a place, <clears throat> for thither the Assyrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him, and warned him of, and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. So we wondered, who's the mole here? Who's the treasonous one that's telling the king of Israel what's going on and what I'm doing? And he says, no, it's none of us. We're all loyal and faithful to you. Uh, but it's Elisha. He's the bad guy here. And he said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. Uh, good intent, I'm sure. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? He said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Of course, the man of God, probably, I mean, the servant probably looked around and says, well, I see two of us. <laughs> what, what do you mean there's more of us than there are more of them? I see an army out there. And Elisha prayed and said, Eternal, I pray you, open his eyes that he may see. And the Eternal opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So there were angels with the chariots of fire, again mentioned here, uh, both with Elijah and with Elisha now, we have chariots of fire. Again, Ezekiel is an end-time prophecy, and 1, 3, and 10 there talk about chariots of fire. Maybe one being the particular one that Christ uses, but many chariots of fire are out there, apparently. And there were a bunch here. Again, it brings up the question, will that be what God uses to transport his witnesses around the world to warn the nations? Can travel very fast, can't be harmed, and can't be interfered with. Can't shoot them down like you would an airliner. And then, uh, when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Eternal and said, Smite this people, I pray you with blindness, and he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Uh, and Elisha said to them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. And when they came there, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And he opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria, right in the middle of Israel. And the king of Israel said to Elisha, when he saw them, my father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he said, No, you shall not smite them. Would you smite them, uh, those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink, and go to their master. And he pre prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, 
He sent them away, and they went to their master, so the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. They're just the opposite of what you might expect. God is a kind and merciful God when the opportunity exists. But he can be very severe at times as well. Then we have a case of a woman down here who cried uh, to the king of Israel. He was passing by and said, Help, my lord, my king, verse 26. And there was a, a drought. And verse 23 or 28, the second half, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. And she has hid her son. It's kind of like the, the baby that Solomon decided to cut in half and give him each one a half. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall and the people looked and behold he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Then he said, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. Cut my head off if Elisha doesn't lose his this very day. So he blamed the drought he blamed this child being boiled and eaten on Elisha. But Elisha sat in his house, <clears throat> and the elders sat with him, and the king sent a man from before him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See, now this son of a murderer has sent uh, to take away my head. Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. And while he yet talked with them, behold, a messenger came down to him, and he said, Behold, this evil is of the eternal. What should I wait for the eternal any longer? All right, then chapter 7, Elisha said, Hear you the word of the eternal. Thus says the eternal, Tomorrow about this time... Shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria? So there was this great drought, and they were actually eating their own children, as the prophecies say will happen in this country here in the next few years. This will also go on. So this is prophecy as well. But what Elisha says is this drought is over, and while there's nothing to eat now, uh, tomorrow, it'll be common. It'll be everywhere, and it'll be cheap. Shekel wasn't much money. Then the Lord, in whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, you shall see it with your eyes, but shall not eat thereof. You're going to see it happen, but you won't be around to enjoy it. And there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate, and they said one to the other, Why sit we here till we die? Uh, Christ dealt with lepers too, did he not? So here were four. And they said, you know, why are we sitting here? There's nothing to eat. We're just going to sit here and die of starvation instead of leprosy. If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. 
We've had it. Now therefore come and let us fall under the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. We're going to die anyway. Uh, let's don't depend on Israel. Let's go to the Syrians. I think that would be a mistake. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots, chariots of fire again, and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel is hired against us, the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians, to come upon us. Wherefore they rose and fled in the twilight, and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried out silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered another tent and carried that out and went and hid it. Then said one to another, We do not do well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they had gotten great blessings there because the Syrians had gone. But then they got to worrying. What if we lose it all? We better go tell somebody. So they told it the kings through the porters. Verse 12, And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry, therefore they are gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. So the king thought it was a, a ruse that they would go out and hide, and when we came to get their stuff, they'd come out and kill us all. And one of his servants answered and said, let some take, I pray you, five of the horses that remain, they'd probably eaten the horses before they started eating the kids, which are left in the city. Behold, there is all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say... Uh, they are even as all the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed. And let us send and see. So they took two chariot horses and went to see if the Syrians were indeed hiding. And they went clear to Jordan. And all the way they saw garments and stuff that the Syrians had dropped because it was too much to carry. And 16, the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Eternal. So they were in severe drought. God didn't just rain manna from heaven, but he sent chariots and horses and a tumult of noise that just simply ran the Syrians off. And then what they had was there for the Israelites, and there was plenty, and it was cheap. And then, verse 19, the Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Eternal should make windows in heaven, remember the first of the story, might such a thing be? And he said, Behold, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat thereof. And so it fell out unto him, for the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. He never even got back into the city. They opened the gate, and they ran over him and trod him into the ground. Just one thing right after another here that Elisha did. Now, chapter 8, verse 1, 
Then spoke Elisha to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go in your household and sojourn wherever you can go, for the eternal is called for a famine, and it shall come upon the land seven years. And she rose and did what he said, went into the land of the Philistines. And it came to pass at the seven years end, verse 3, that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines and went forth to cry to the king for her house and her land. So she'd been gone seven years, and her house, her land, everything she had had been taken away. Verse 4, the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray you, all the great things that Elisha has done. And it came to pass, as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And then he asked, and she told him the story. So the king appointed her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even till now. She just showed up at the exact right time when Gehazi was telling about her. Verse 7, And Elisha came to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And the king said to Hatzael, Take a present in your hand, and go meet the man of God, and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I just recover from this? So we went to meet him. He took forty camels' burden, and came and stood before him, and said, The son of Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, You may certainly recover, howbeit the Lord has showed me that he shall surely die. And he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. So they looked each other in the eye uh, over the situation. And Hatzael said, Why weep, my Lord? And he answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds will you set on fire, and their young men will you slay with a sword, and will dash their women, and rip up their women with child. So he's saying, The king could recover, but you're going to do something terrible here. And he wept because... He realized what was about to happen. Hatzael said, But what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord has showed me that you shall be king over Syria. So he came to ask about the king, and he's told, actually, he could recover, but he's going to die, and you are going to do some terrible things. (coughs) So he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elijah tell you? He said, He told me that you should surely recover. And it came to pass on the morrow that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it on his face so that he died and Hatziel reigned in his stead. So he told him he would recover, but he didn't recover from being smothered to death. He would have recovered from the disease, but he died anyway 
Because Hoxie only got the big head and said, oh, if I'm going to do all these things, then the king needs to die anyway. So he killed him. Makes you wonder about some things here in the end time. Uh, let's go to chapter 9. We're about done with these stories. Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophets and said to him, Gird up your loins and take this box of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you come there, look out there Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his brethren and carry him to an inner chamber. So he took the box of oil and put it on his head and said, Thus says the Eternal, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and tarry not. So he said, you're to go anoint Jehu, and it's a dangerous situation. As soon as you got the job done, split. Get out of there. So the young man went, and when he came, and behold, the captain of the host were sitting. He said, I have an errand to you, O captain. And Jehu said, unto which of all us? Who's this message really for? He said, to you. And he rose and went in the house, and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the eternal God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. And you shall smite the house of Ahab your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the eternal at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab him that pisses against the wall, all the men in other words, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the sons of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel the portion in the portion of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. So Elijah had said this would happen to uh, Jezebel, and we looked forward here and read that the other day. Then Jehu uh, came forth to the servants of his Lord, and they asked him if everything was okay, and what did this stupid guy come to tell you? Uh, And he told them, and then verse 13, end of it, they said, Jehu is king. So then Jehu got in a chariot 16 and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there, and Ahaziah king of Judah was come to Joram. And they wondered why he was coming. He said, Is it peace? End of verse 17. So they went one horse back to meet him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? Are you coming in peace? And Jehu said, What have you to do with peace? Turn you behind me. And the watchman told, saying, The messenger came to them, but he comes not again. Then he sent out a second on horseback, which came to them and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? Are you coming in peace? And Jehu answered, What have you to do with peace? Turn you behind me. He knew the record of the king and that he had been violent, Ahab. So he says, Why are you talking to me about peace? The watchman told, saying, He came even to them and again. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Uh, I guess if Jehu was a modern-day guy, he'd be running a Corvette. 
And Joram said, Make ready. And his chariot was made ready. And Joram king of Israel and Ahaziah king of Judah went out, each in his chariot, and went out against Jehu, met him in the portion of Naboth the Jezreelite. And when they saw it was Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace, so long as the whoredoms of your mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many? And Joram turned his hands and fled and said to Ahaziah, There is treachery. <laughs> he isn't coming in peace. And Jehu drew a bow with his full strength and smote Jehoram between his arms. And the arrow went out at his heart, and he sunk down in his chariot. Then he, Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, Take up and cast him in the portion of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite, uh, then in 27, when Ahaziah the king of Judah saw this, he fled by the way of the garden house, tried to hide and run. And Jehu followed after him and said, Smite him also in the chariot. And they did so at the going up to Gur, which is by Iblium. And he fled to Megiddo and died there. So they wounded him badly and he, he died anyway. Now Jezebel heard about it in verse 29. Uh, she painted her face and did her hair and looked out a window. And as Jehu entered, Jehu entered the gate, he said, Had Zimri peace? Who slew his master? And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs, and he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trod her underfoot. And then he came in and said, Eat and drink, and said, Go now. Uh, see, see now this cursed woman, and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, and all they found was her skull and her feet and her hands, because the dogs had eaten her. Verse 36, Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Eternal, which he spoke by his servant Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. I think what's notable about this story, beyond the miracles and, and everything that occurred, is that God caused his men, uh, Elisha in this case, to be involved in the politics of Israel. We find that fairly often. They're advising kings or telling them that kings are going to die or whatever. Uh, and in the end time, uh, his witnesses will go to all the kingdoms of the world and tell them what is going to happen to them if they don't repent and serve God, which they, of course, will not do. So the story is being laid back here for that. I find it interesting also that Jehu killed those two kings as predicted. Isaiah 7.16 is speaking of Ephraim, and it says she will be forsaken of both her kings or her rulers. I've wondered if that might be president and vice president. I don't know. Uh, but it's an interesting parallel. It does say in Isaiah 7 will be forsaken of her kings. Now, whether forsaken means die or simply after committing treason, they flee to get away lest they do die. But forsaken means gone away from, whether in death or whether actually running from. But Ephraim will lose both her kings, both her leaders.
Now let's go to the end of this story in chapter 13. Uh, skips over. Uh, verse 14. This is a very interesting passage to me. Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. So, another uh, reference to the chariots of Israel and the horses with them. And Elisha said to him, Take bow and arrows. And he took to him bow and arrows. So here's Elisha on his deathbed, and he's giving instructions. He said to the king of Israel, Put your hand upon the bow. And he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the eternal's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you shall smite the Syrians in Aphek till you have consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And he said, You should have smitten five or six times. Then had you smitten Syria till you had consumed it. Whereas now you shall smite Syria but three times. You're not going to totally consume them. Comes to mind, whatever you find to do, do with your might. If the prophet tells you to smite with the arrows, you get with it. You don't just smite three times kind of gently and quit. You get on the job. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invited the land at the coming in of the year. So a fight, a war broke out. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Just hitting the bones of Elisha. Now, I've been telling you, and I think it's clear in the story here, the similarities between what Elisha did and what Christ did is, is startling. But think about this. Just touching Elijah's bones resurrected a man. Is this a type of Christ or what? His death removes sin so we can be resurrected. It is by the death, the body, the bones of a man who died and was resurrected that we all have opportunity at resurrection. So here a man of God died and touching his bones brought another man back to life. So the type of Christ here, I think, is quite startling. So the Elisha at the end, who was the successor of Elijah, uh, is a very strong type of Christ. I had never really deeply considered that until going through it here recently, uh, that Elijah comes first. Did Elijah not come uh, before Elisha? Did John the Baptist not come to prepare the way before Christ? Uh, 
will that not happen again here in the end time? So you will, you had one, Elijah, who came and did a work, did a specific thing uh, to prepare the way, and then Elisha came and did greater things. We'll find in the story of Joshua and Zerubbabel that one comes and does some work first and prepares the way for the other who will come and do greater things and be the very signet of Christ at the end of Haggai there. So the parallels are quite striking between these men and the prophecies of the end time. So that finishes the story of Elisha and that parallel coming after Elijah. And we will see the plot thicken as we continue, uh, I guess, tomorrow.